Well, hello, Canada and the rest of the world, and welcome once again to the Netflix podcast, the show where we review the movies available to stream on Netflix in Canada. I'm your host, Dylan Clarkmore, and today we're going to be talking about 2015's Jurassic World. Before we get into things, I do want to issue a few warnings about the episode. First of all, it's probably going to not be all that shy about spoilers, so if that's the kind of thing you get salty about, please go watch the movie first. Also, we keep an explicit tag on this show in case of language that may not be suitable for all listeners. With that out of the way, let's get into it. I am very excited to be meeting and speaking with the host of one of my favorite podcasts, the Willard Price Adventure Podcast. Let's give a big Canadian welcome to Amy Muggleston. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> oh, thank you very much for agreeing to do this. Um, Amy, let's, let's let people get to know you a little bit by telling the world what you've been watching on Netflix recently. Um... Recently, um, I have been watching, um, I've been catching up, uh, well, no, not catching up, kind of re-listening to um, Red Dwarf, which is kind of one of my favorite old, I, I guess you would say it's a sitcom. I don't know if you even have Red Dwarf in Canada. Um, it used to be on Netflix. It's not anymore. Yeah. But I'm certainly, certainly aware of it. Um, yeah, so I've been listening to kind of like the first couple of series of that. Um, that's that's like a kind of old comforting favorite and then kind of at the other end of the, the spectrum, I guess, um, I started watching, I haven't finished it yet, I started watching um, Paris is Burning. It's so good. I just watched it. Oh, I know. I, I'm kind of um, reluctant to finish it because I know that it's going to be, I think there's going to be a lot of tragedy involved in it. Um, <laughs> and um, it's, yeah, it's it's really, really interesting. It's like... I don't know that they've kind of created this whole kind of fantasy, you know, performative fantasy world, you know, out of kind of having nothing really. I was very excited to watch that when I saw that it was on there. Um, Cause I've been, I mean, people who listen to this podcast heard me talk at length about RuPaul's Drag Race, but ever since they added season eight of RuPaul's Drag Race a few months ago, it's, it's been a lot of drag <laughs> in my life. Yeah, My Instagram is just filled with drag queens now. It's, <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah, I mean, I basically kind of got um, Netflix for RuPaul's Drag Race um, because I was visiting my friend Jenny, um, who is my co-host on Willard Price Adventure Podcast. Um, and she's been on uh, she's been on your podcast too um, in America, and I watched an episode of RuPaul's Drag Race there, um, and I was kind of hooked. So yeah, I kind of um, I, I basically got Netflix to watch that, and so kind of all my recommendations are, are kind of um, I, I guess kind of queer interest. <laughs> Let's move on to the movie that we are here to talk about this episode. It's from the year 2015 from director Colin Trevorrow. We're going to be talking about Jurassic World. Uh, we'll start that off by taking a look at how Netflix has chosen to describe this movie. Uh, the first synopsis that it offers is 
The biggest, baddest dino ever cloned just escaped. For two boys, a ranger, and a CEO, it's both nightmare and adventure. It's not bad. <laughs> I, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I guess it kind of. I guess it kind of sums it up. The alternative is the owners of a dinosaur theme park try to attract tourists with a thrilling new exhibit, but a deadly giant breaks loose and terrorizes the island. Yeah, you see, I like that one better. It seems a little more descriptive. The other, the other one is is kind of, well, I mean, it is clickbait because it wants you to click and watch the movie, so it's completely doing its job. <laughs> but it seems more clickbaity. Um, so yeah, I, I like that one. It's more like what you would have on the back of a book. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm not really interested in hearing about a CEO taking on a dinosaur. Like that doesn't that doesn't do anything for me. No, and... that's a very small part of it as well. I feel. <laughs> And the movie is described as exciting and imaginative. I suppose so. Well, I mean, in um, that it's kind of a rehash of the previous three films, maybe not so imaginative, but it's exciting. I find they use the word imaginative a lot when it's a, a very visual yeah. movie, like if it's special effects heavy. Yeah. It's kind of a, a buzzword that they use for that. I guess so. And like if it kind of is not entirely realist i suppose then yeah they would say they perhaps say imaginative don't they uh so out of the entire catalog of what's available on netflix why did you want to talk about jurassic world i mean completely honestly um it was because they took jurassic park off and i couldn't talk about that um (laughs) (laughs) so i think i kind of have already threatened that i might try and sneak in a few jurassic park references under the radar but it's it's kind of a franchise that i have a lot of i don't know does it sound too cheesy to say i have a lot of history with it um i'm kind of invested in this franchise i was i think the right age for jurassic park when it came out and i was like i was always the dinosaur kid um when i was little so i was kind of fascinated with dinosaurs i had all the books um i had like a little old ice cream tub with loads of fossils in and things like that (laughs) and so and and lots of kind of plastic i mean one of the characters that you see later on in the the movie he has kind of a lot of plastic dinosaurs doesn't he on his desk um and i used to have kind of drawers full of those um and you could buy them and they had like the uh, they had the name of the dinosaur written across its belly so you could learn what they were all called <laughs> so I, I was kind of very very into dinosaurs and jurassic park was kind of announced a long time before it came out and there was a lot of hype about it and hardly anyone had the internet in those days there wasn't youtube or anything like that so they managed to keep the dinosaurs a secret and you kind of basically um and actually it came out in the uk like about a year after um it was out in the in uh in america um and they still i mean i certainly haven't seen them and you kind of went and it was sort of like wow this is a dinosaur i'm seeing a dinosaur um so it had like a big effect on me that film so i kind of am interested to see where they've taken i don't know would you call it the reboot i suppose it kind of is i wouldn't call it a reboot it's, it's um, not a remake, is it? it? In that, no. No. I mean, it's, it's, I guess it's more of a, not quite a kickstart, not quite a rejuvenation, maybe. But, uh, but I mean, like, linear-wise, like, uh, in terms of telling a story, like, it is, it is a sequel. It's just a sequel that took a while to get off the ground. Yeah. They've kind of, I, I think a lot of, um, a lot of movie franchises st- sort of started doing this now, haven't they? Like, um, they've kind of done a Star Wars, basically, haven't they? They sort of do, th- yeah. do three movies leave it until the generation that was watching that three movies has sort of grown up and can force their children right. to see the next three movies and then make three yeah. more movies 
And that is the plan for Jurassic World is there's going to be three Jurassic World movies and then we'll see what happens after that. Yeah. Um, it's not actually, it's like, a, actually my wife just pointed out yesterday that it's, uh, well, yesterday it was 100 days until the new Jurassic World movie comes out. Oh, really? Yeah, it's in the summer, so it's, isn't it? it's very soon. Yeah. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry at all about, <laughs> you said sneaking in Jurassic Park <laughs> references because this movie so very much lives in the spirit of the first movie in particular yes like it like it uh well i guess it technically takes place on the ruins of the the second one i uh, know the, f- the yeah, first one as it's, it's uh it's on isla nublar isn't it which is where the, the original park was set right 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 okay yeah yeah so i mean it's it's like built on top of the corpse of the first movie it, yeah it really is it's it's um it does advertise its relationship to the first film quite a lot so I don't think that there's anything to be ashamed of in uh, taking part in that nostalgia. And I mean, we've got the Jake Johnson's character, uh, the one who you mentioned has all the toy yes. uh, dinosaurs. You know, he's wearing a Jurassic Park shirt that, okay, that's very handy that the park has the iconic logo. That's also the iconic logo of the movie. So then you can kind of do this thing where he's like, no, he's like a big fanboy for the park, but he's really standing in for... Right, huge fans of the movie, for, like for yourself. Me, yes, <laughs> yeah, for yeah. You. I still have my T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. You were just busy that day, so they case, so they cast Jake Johnson instead. I know, damn him. <laughs> <laughs> but I felt like with his character, though, they were kind of like making fun of that, like the the like idolization and and fan culture. Like he was he was funny, but he wasn't a uh, he wasn't a strong <laughs> character. Like he even gets called out at the very end for uh, you know for once in your life do something yeah so the, the there's a lot going on in this movie in terms of like saying something you know do as I say not as I do I mean in a way that's kind of a, a an older stock character isn't it it's kind of like the you know the ineffectual nerd and I think even though they're kind of relying on you know the people who nerded out on the first um, movie they they are still kind of using that um i mean he like he's not a bad guy he does he does he comes off better than a lot of the other characters but yeah he's he's supposed to be kind of like a bit of a dork isn't he but i think that like also kind of with modern nerd culture it's not really the same as (laughs) i'm gonna sound like an old woman now it's not the same as it used to be but um (laughs) i think that there is kind of like a divide between um kind of acceptable nerdiness which is kind of um participating in all the all the big movie franchises like the avengers and all that sort of thing and you know like somebody like me who's got like a little box of ammonites um i I think there's kind of acceptable nerdiness and and kind of stuff that would still have people going you're a dork (laughs) owning toys seems to be said as that's almost a bad thing. Like it's kind of endearing, but it's also like unprofessional. But also the fact that he he loves his shirt more than he respects the fact that a lot of people died <laughs> yeah. in the original Jurassic Park and he gets called out for that. Yes, he does. Although it is by the people who are kind of setting up the circumstances for yet more people to die in the second Jurassic Park. Um right. or Jurassic World. But yeah. I think a lot of characters in this are kind of a bit hypocritical. Because they kind of call, you know, like the other characters out, and but they don't, they don't always kind of own their own part of it. The most frustrating hypocrisy for me, and I don't know if this was uh, you know, script writers kind of making fun of themselves, but 
that Jake Johnson character again. He calls out the like uh, the crass consumerism of uh, this whole process, like the fact that Verizon bought the rights to the Indominus Rex. But this movie is so. Uh, it's just swimming in product placement. <laughs> like, like, like even even in that moment, they say Verizon. Like literally Verizon. Verizon probably like Verizon would have had to pay money to be the one that gets referenced in the movie as a sponsor for the park. Yeah, like it's you can it's see insane. things in the park as well, can't you? Like, um, I don't know if it's the bit at the end where they're being chased by the Indominus Rex, or if it's the bit with the with the Pteranodons and um, Dimorphodons kind of like attacking everyone. Um, and you can see like I think you can see like see a Starbucks and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, there's a Starbucks right next to a Pandora. And yeah. they're both, like, in the middle of the frame. It's insane. Yeah. I, I mean, like, I think a lot of movies are kind of hypocritical, aren't they, about... Um, the main one that I remember is, I think, is it Singing in the Rain, where um, Debbie Reynolds' character is um, the one who's really doing the singing, and there's, like, the spoilt starlet who um, is taking all the credit, pretending to have this beautiful voice, and really Debbie Reynolds is singing. Um, and in the end, you know, Debbie Reynolds gets the credit she deserves. But she didn't sing in that film. <laughs> Oh no! Somebody else like that. So like, yeah, I think people are kind of quite easily able to sort of say, "Oh yeah, I'm I'm kind of against this," um, but I'm not going to think about it too much. And do you know what I mean? I think people can yeah. kind of deceive themselves quite a lot, even with a, yeah. a relatively straightforward film like this. My favorite one is the uh, the third Hobbit movie in particular is just all about not being greedy, and that's the idea: is that greed will destroy you. Yeah. And that's the third movie in a franchise, in like a trilogy that had no reason to exist, had no reason to be a trilogy. Like it's the greediest movie yes. in existence <laughs> with this really strong anti-greed yeah. message to it. But I don't, I, I, yeah, I, yeah, I think that it's just people trying to like have their cake and eat it too. And I mean, every, any movie that has an anti-capitalist message that has a, you know, 50 million, hundred million dollar budget, like it's, it drives me crazy. It's just lip service, isn't it? It's kind of, you know, let's not take it so far that we have this kind of genetically modified dinosaur as a super weapon without testing it properly. But, you know, it's okay to not pay your workers very much, Right. (laughs) which is kind of the more, the, the more likely thing to happen, I would say. A movie like this is not something that's supposed to make you think too much, and so they kind of engineer a, a kind of very obvious situation, don't they? Where you kind of go, "Oh, okay, that's obviously bad." Yeah. But it's not really something you have to think about too much. I mean, I think as well the character um, Maserani, the CEO. I thought, I mean, like it was kind of his project, wasn't it? It was his idea. So presumably yeah. the book stops here at some in, in some sense. But he was kind of much more of a sympathetic character um, because I think that, you know, he was supposed to be this great individualist and, and kind of a visionary and, you know, kind of there were all the hallmarks of kind of these kind of, you know, individualist characters like, you know, he takes risks and he's an adventurer and he has imagination and stuff like that. And I think, you know, you're supposed to admire him, aren't you? But he's the one who said, engineer me this this kind of abomination <laughs> yeah and he's like al- like almost to the point of arousal when he finds out that this thing is actually terrifying and that he gets to commodify fear yes but he also is all about respecting these animals and being poetic about it and he has the benefit of saying ignore the bottom line 
which is fine until the bottom line is negatively affected. And then he's going to be yelling at them about oh, yeah. why the business isn't <laughs> doing well. Like he's, yeah. he's, he's in this place of like tremendous privilege where he gets to kind of like lead the philosophy of it and pretend that the other things don't matter. Yeah, but I mean, he kind of, uh, I was going to say he bollocks him, but that's that's not, you, <laughs> we only say that in England. Um, he um, he has, he, he calls out uh, Wu, Henry Wu, isn't it? Like the only character who is actually in the original Jurassic Park movie. Yeah. You know, he, he kind of tells him off, doesn't he, for having made it. Um, and it's kind of quite a confusing moment because it's sort of like, but, you know, you asked him to do it. <laughs> so I think you, you kind of, I don't know, in a way it's kind of, it seems like it has a lot of its DNA in um, like the 1950s creature feature. And like a lot of that is, I mean, I guess it's kind of like the post-atomic age. And, and so there's a lot of kind of like scientists are all bastards. And, and I think... But the scientists are kind of the scientists kind of come off worse in this than they do in the original. In the original, they're trying to you know they're the ones who are trying to kind of figure out what's going on and and kind of appalled by the the sort of lack of thought forethought that's gone into it. Um, yeah. But in this one, it's just kind of like scientists make abominations. That's kind of what they do. Yeah, I mean the the first movie is really well. I guess Ian Malcolm's line uh, about how you were you were so worried about whether or not you could you never stopped to think if you should yes and so it was more about kind of like the moral ambivalence of science yeah as opposed to this seemed more aggressive in in demonizing you know henry Wu and having him have this ulterior motive and him being secretive and it's like at this point science should know better yeah i mean you see this this kind of argument all the time on twitter but i feel like i'm seeing a lot of uh, anti-STEM kind of resentment from people who are involved in the humanities, just feeling oh, really? like you know it's so it's so hot right now to do these amazing new developments and technologies and everything. And Silicon Valley is gonna like is absolutely incredible, and that like the the human element is getting left behind. Yeah, I think I think that's that's kind of that's kind of the point, isn't it? Really, is like science is amoral. It depends who uses it. It can be used for good or it can be used for bad, but usually it's used for profit. Um, yeah. And and the good or bad is is kind of incidental. And in this case, there it's it seems to be more saying that profit isn't bad. I mean, you've got Claire representing the profits. Like profit's not bad in and of itself, and loving nature is not bad in and of itself, but weaponizing things and having a military and doing that that's where it seems mm. like this movie you know that that's when people are crossing this this ethical line like that's yes. when you know we know right from the get-go that vincent d'onofrio is a piece of shit because he yes. He's a represents brilliant the military actor, I think. <laughs> but like as soon like i haven't seen him in anything else and i think like with a lot of hmm, i don't care about the characters a huge amount in this i have to say but I care about him getting his comeuppance because as soon right. as you see him, like I bristled as soon as he walked on because he's just like, um, I mean, like you mentioned Twitter earlier, he's like the kind of person who you could imagine tweeting things about, like how millennials don't have firm handshakes anymore. He's just like, ugh. just like the way he walks and everything. He's, he's yeah. just like obnoxious. <laughs> yeah. He's got like this, like this avuncular swagger. Yeah. Where he, like, not even compensating because he does, like, actually have power, but he's just, like, literally throwing his weight around to yeah. show that he can. And he keeps, um, 
what is his name? Um, the the plastic dinosaurs guy. I think his name is Lowry. I thought he was called Lowry. Lowry. That's I thought fun. his name was Larry, but apparently it's Larry. And um, yeah, he keeps walking over to him and like leaning on his chair and um, like invading his personal space. So he's he just kind of exudes and and like an aura of kind of oiliness and creepiness, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's definitely true. Um, okay, so as somebody who's been uh, a fan of this franchise since, well, I guess even before it came out, you uh, said... Yeah, I was, uh, I was looking forward to it, and I read the book before it came out as well, so... <laughs> you you kind of mentioned that you have a lot of goodwill for this franchise, so have you enjoyed all of them? Have you enjoyed some of them? Do you feel like it's the, the goodwill from the first one that's getting you through to the end? The reason I'm asking is because if you compare this to, let's say, a similar thing, Jaws, Yes. In that you have Jaws, which is this like pinnacle of filmmaking, and then you have inferior sequels. Yes. To the point that people like to pretend they don't exist. <laughs> and I don't feel like Jurassic Park is that, but I also don't feel like Jurassic Park 2, 3, or Jurassic World get held anywhere near in that same high regard. And yet the, the goodwill doesn't seem to be tarnished. No. No matter how many movies get made. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I would say that probably with Jurassic Park, um, I, I think it, to a lesser extent than Jaws, because they're not awful, but yeah, I don't think that any of the subsequent films have been as good. And I think that, like, the, the original film was good because it was fairly, I mean, not entirely, but fairly faithful to, to the book, which is a, like a really brilliant book. I mean, it's like, a, I mean, it's sci-fi, really. But the science is believable, which is like a big deal for me because like a lot of sci-fi movies, they just kind of have, you know, like, oh, they've disturbed the energy flow or whatever. But like in, in Jurassic Park, I mean, at least to me when I was 14, the, the science was believable. And so you were kind of on board with it happening. Um, and I think that because like all the people who were seeing all these dinosaurs for the first time were like dinosaur nuts as well, like um, Sam Neill's character, you kind of, if you were kind of like a dinosaur nut, then you felt it with them. Um, because there's, there's like a bit where, where they round the corner in the Jeep um, and he sees them for the first time and like he, he kind of like loses balance, doesn't he? Uh, like his legs go. And I was kind of yeah, like that when I came out of the right. cinema. So I think that like the characters are more sympathetic. I mean, they're not hugely rounded, are they? But I think that they're more believable as members of their profession and as the type of people who would be looking around and as people who might be kind of torn between wow this is amazing and shit this is really dangerous and also i think like i have a lot of goodwill for the dinosaurs as well <laughs> because you know the special effects are amazing but yeah i mean i i will i will just go and see the dinosaurs to be perfectly honest with you, that, that's not a very cerebral way of looking at it, but I'll kind of never not be the dinosaur kid and I go and watch all the films with my dad <laughs> and I love them. <laughs> um, but, but that said, I, yeah, this this film is... I, um, I, I feel like they kind of rely on stock characters a lot more. So you have the Aunt Claire character and, like, she has so much in common with kind of, I've said, like, again before, like, I think it's it's quite heavily influenced by kind of, like, these 50s creature features. And I think that, like, she has a lot in common with kind of, I don't know what you would call sort of, like, the mad science adjacent woman who's kind of, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like, in these old films, like, I don't know, like, Killer Shrews or whatever, there would be kind of, like, this mad scientist. And, and because it was kind of like a cheesy old film, he would 
have kind of some stock northern european accent and mad hair like einstein and then he would have like a beautiful daughter and she would be kind of his assistant and it would be implied that it was no place for a woman and that she was kind of missing out on all the joys of motherhood and and kind of things that women ought to be doing and then of course like everything would kick off and the square jawed hero would come along and he would rescue her um and then there would be something at the end where they kind of got together and he'd be like the only science you're going to be doing from now on is cooking my dinner and um it would just, <laughs> like literally stuff like that and i think that she kind of has a lot because she's obviously supposed to be kind of non-maternal like you know her nephews come over she's supposed to be looking after them but she's busy and i kind of thought like well am i reading too much into this am i kind of you know is is she just kind of maybe more the character who's kind of like oh i'm busy and i missed my kids little league game which can be a male or a female character but there's a scene where she's in her car and she gets a call from her sister which is the boy's pet the boy's mom and she kind of reveals that she's not really been hanging out with them and her sister says oh it will be good practice for when you have children and claire says if i have children and her sister says no where (laughs) i was like really it's 2015 and we're kind of like she, you know, like this is obviously supposed to be kind of like the the good character, you know, the the kind of the person who's in the right. The sister is supposed to be on yeah. the right, and she's kind of saying, "No, you must have a family. You're missing out." Yeah, well, and it's <laughs> not even played like Claire is saying, "I'm not about that life." Like mm-hmm. she's not arguing about the direction of her life. She's devaluing herself by saying, "Oh no, I'll like no one will ever want to be with me." And the the no when you have kids that's meant to be like a reassuring thing like don't worry fellow woman that? you too will have purpose. As you think? Oh, I see. That's not really how I read it. Oh, oh. I don't know. Oh, maybe. Yeah, because she kind of says it in a kind of sort of kindly, slightly patronizing way. But either way, it's kind of. Yeah, yeah neither one's great. <laughs> no, exactly. And then obviously, of course, you have the where it's kind of revealed that. Um, She's had this failed date with with Chris Pratt's character, you know, and she's kind of doing, you know, doing the thing where it's kind of, you know, maybe he's like a little bit, not obnoxious, but but a bit possibly socially abrupt, I don't know. And so it didn't work out. But she's kind of nervous and he's kind of a little bit smug about it. So you can kind of tell that she's supposed to quite like him. And then kind of like... She, you know, she's supposed to be his boss, but her authority is kind of undermined by events transpiring that make him save the day by kind of basically punching things. And then at the end, you kind of see her nephews reunited with their family. Um, and she kind of looks at them in this kind of thoughtful way. And then she kind of goes up to him and, and kind of lowers her head and says, what shall we do now? So it's, uh. <laughs> it's kind of almost, there are similarities, I think, between right. that and, and kind of, she, I, you know, she's become kind of more womanly by accepting that kind of, wow, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, an alpha male has kind of punched his way into her heart. Um, and he is literally yeah. an alpha male as well. Yeah, he's he literally the an alpha, alpha male. Of the alpha of the raptor pack. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, 10 years ago, uh, you know, that character would have been picture perfect for Sandra Bullock. Like that's that's the type that she's playing, right? Like she's she's buttoned up too tight, you know, her her cupcake decorating business is taking off, but she doesn't have time for a man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember when this movie came out, there was a lot of pushback because of the Claire character. Oh, really? Um and that was it was really 
like the 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 image that people used to complain about it was that she was running around in heels the whole time uh, because yeah. it was just like well of course she is <laughs> <laughs> but i don't know I, I i went into this movie looking for that because i this is my first time seeing it since i saw it in theater mm. and so i was i was trying to be i was like you know prepped to be outraged and i was like the shoe thing is really not the biggest deal like that's what she would have worn to work relax but uh that it doesn't give her a whole lot of credit. I mean, fine. Like if if she had been saying from the beginning that she had always wanted a family and she was having trouble balancing it, then great. But yeah, it it but, seems yeah. like she's kind of not had time for that, and everybody else is kind of saying, "Well, you should have." <laughs> yeah, and, and, I'm not and, speaking you... from personal experience at all here. <laughs> um. <laughs> I mean, if if we do the comparison thing again of Jurassic Park to Jurassic World, I mean, you don't think about Jurassic Park and think, "Man, that character development." sure was great like i don't care that he learned to like kids i mean you do have that touching no. moment where he where he's kind of like where the kids are sleeping on on him in the tree mm-hmm. but uh i mean it's it's more that these are the right characters to show you this story through yeah as opposed to i felt like with jurassic world it was more that like they we were like we need to tell a story with these characters everybody needs their their little arc or their little something yeah, there's it, quite like, a that jumble, that, isn't there? Of... Yeah, but it doesn't really... It, like it's it's not necessary, and like there's, in some cases, too much time. In other cases, not enough time. Like, the whole yeah. character thread of the... Uh, what's the older brother's name? There's Zach? Is that Zach the older one? Zach and Gray, the... I think, Zach's the older one, yeah. Okay. You have Zach, who just, like, his character trait is that he flirts. Yeah. <laughs> And that like it comes up three times, and I was like, "Is he gonna like? Is he gonna fuck a dinosaur? Is this <laughs> going to contribute to the solution?" But you just totally oh drop it. Oh my god, so, that would have I been guess, so much better. Hey, they give you an Oscar for that these days. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Well, um, yeah. Now that I've said that, though, I'm now I'm now realizing that it was more about him being distracted by the girls and not paying attention to what was in front of him the whole time, which was his brother. But that was a, a weird way to tell that story. Yeah, I think it. Yeah, I think they were just sort of like, well, your character is teenage and your character is small boy, um, and that was kind of <laughs> it. <laughs> and your parents are getting divorced, so run with that. Yeah, and, and like small boy who's like, like I really expected his character traits to come into play more because he seemed very uh analytical and he's you know narratively speaking i was expecting him to fill the uh you know the sister role from the first movie where he ends up hacking the mainframe or he has to like count the toothpicks that get dropped or something like there's but yeah his, they don't he, really he, have a part in solving it do they they just kind of like they uh, yeah they bear witness to it well i guess he the the little kid gray he inspires you know, for this kid who's like super intelligent and like very analytical, what ends up inspiring Claire to go get the T Rex is he just like caveman grunts out saying, "We need more teeth." <laughs> like that's that's his contribution to the problem. I think that like the little kid is quite a good actor, like because when they sort of you know remembered the thing about the parents getting divorced and um and you know and he got upset and and cried about it, I, you know I did kind of think oh, he's quite a good little actor, but it's yeah. not really about their parents getting divorced, is it? about dinosaurs <laughs> well and did you get the feeling like the family was actually going to end up together at the end because they were like oh this has brought us together like the the mom and the dad were holding hands when they came through to to pick them up 
Like that would be quite irresponsible, it. I think. <laughs> if I, like, if there were kids who were watching it whose parents really were getting divorced, I think that would be quite irresponsible. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just... Listen, kids, if you need your parents to stay together, just put yourself in a mortal danger. Yeah, and they'll, they'll bond over fearing for your life. It couldn't possibly <laughs> go wrong. <laughs> I think that's, I think kind of what you said, they all having their kind of disparate arcs, it, it, it feels quite disjointed. You know, there's kind of the CEO being a bit of a hero, but then he dies, and and kind of the the relationship between Owen and Claire, um, the kids' parents are getting divorced, and they never really come together and and sort of make this kind of come up with a with a solution, do they? Not really. But then again, if they had spent more time doing that sort of thing, I probably would have been annoyed too. So, <laughs> oh, what if they'd all uh, brainstormed it and? Yeah, if it was like, well, this is the kind of contribution to the problem that i would bring because i'm a plucky whatever like i don't know uh, yeah, i suppose so <laughs> apparently i'm just not easy to please and i was never going to love this movie no well yeah i wasn't really because it was not i basically i'm just kind of like watching the, all the way through going you're not my real dad because i love jurassic park more <laughs> <laughs> um the thing I, I really liked about zach um the role that he played in the movie was that um i felt that i'm hoping to not i, I can feel a tangent coming on i'll, I'll try to reel this in oh i like uh, tangents. i'll try i'll try to <laughs> i think that the movie takes a bit of a misstep in opening with a cgi shot yes because the like literally the very first thing you see is the dinosaur breaking out of the egg and it's not a practical effect it's very clearly cgi yeah, it, and then the CGI bird. What the hell is that? They couldn't get yeah, a real bird? Yeah, they couldn't find a bird? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> those are much easier to come by than dinosaurs. Exactly. Um, so, so right off the hop, I'm thinking, oh, man, because one of the things that makes Jurassic Park such a triumph is that, yes, it uses CGI, and it uses CGI in really, uh, really effective ways, yeah. but it's also held up as a gold standard of what you can do with practical effects and how you do practical effects well. So then opening Jurassic World with literally nothing else on the screen except this CGI thing was off-putting. And so I didn't have that sense of wonder that I really am am going to a Jurassic Park movie for. But then Zach gets you on track with that because he's so excited. And, you know, you get that great image of him throwing the doors open and you see the park in all of its splendor for the first time. And that was that was one of the moments that like that got me in the movie Mm. in a really positive way. But I feel like after that, he's just he's served his purpose. I think that's gray, isn't it? The little the little boy. Yeah, gray. Sorry. Gray, not Zach. You're right. But yeah, I know, I know what you mean. I, I think to a certain extent you're supposed to kind of identify with the, 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 the sense of wonder of the little boy, aren't you? Like um, the Tim character in the original Jurassic Park is the same. But I think what I liked about the original Jurassic Park is that the scientists, for all their kind of reservations, they have the same sense of wonder because it's, you know, they keep referring to the fact that this is what they've been studying their whole lives and now they can actually right. see it. In fact, you have a scene where you see, uh, I think it's a baby velociraptor, coming out of an egg there but they're all watching it and they're kind of like getting quite emotional about it yeah that's yeah hammond says that he's he insists on being there for every birth and even uh sorry what is the scientist's name oh uh woo henry woo yep henry woo okay 
Um, and like in that scene in the first movie, even Wu seems to still be enjoying the magic of it. Yeah. But now, twenty years on, it's it's all business for him. He doesn't care about these animals as I think as living creatures. Yeah, I think they've probably changed that uh, that character. I mean, there's not really. Well, um, like in in the in the original book, that character dies, so there's not anywhere for him to. Right. <laughs> there, there's no precedent for for what what would happen to the character. I don't I don't think you know what happens to him in the film, but he yeah, yeah. he's eviscerated by raptors in the book. So. Yeah. But I don't work. I don't necessarily see it as a bad thing to have him change. I mean, maybe they're trying to say something that like if you if you spend twenty years doing something there's a good chance that some of the shine's going to come off. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's I suppose, a fair point. I don't, I'm not sure that he was in it enough for you to say one or the other, but yeah, they're probably, the, probably the, the most sensible way to look at it would be, be what you've said. Otherwise, it's kind of, it's like a weird hanging thread. I mean, like, another thing that was like that was um, the fact that Maserani says that Hammond has given him the park and told him to, you know, kind of go nuts with it and and kind of instill this sense of wonder. So it's like they've kind of reset Hammond because at the end of the original Jurassic Park, he was like, you know, no, I'm not going to do it anymore. It's a terrible idea. He's he's learned his lesson. But they've, they've kind of just reset him back to where he was at the beginning of Jurassic Park. Well, yeah, I mean, that's kind of Hammond's thing, though, is that he he thinks he's figured it out. And he he's poetically arrogant, I guess. Yeah. And that he, he he's able to dress it up as wonder. Yes. But at the end of the day, like he's doing it for him. He's doing it to prove that he can. Because yeah. in uh, in Jurassic or the Lost World, you know, he reveals to Ian Malcolm that like actually we've kept this thing going the whole time, and you know he says that it's because he doesn't want to see the project die and and you you really see the cracks in his in yeah. his attitude. I think I think to like a certain extent like you're supposed to think that he wants to believe it. Um and I think like there's a lot of pathos to his character because he's kind of like he's like this showman and he's he's kind of gradually coming to realize throughout the movie that he's actually kind of done something terrible. <laughs> So I I don't I mean like it's probably because I was a kid when I watched it to, for the first time um I kind of felt like I I kind of went with his character where he was saying sort of like you know he wanted people to have a sense of wonder I I kind of I gave him the benefit of the doubt on that because he seems as though he then comes to realize you know that he's maybe been fooling himself to a certain yeah. extent and it's it's not yeah. it can never be safe I think the I think that it is in general underappreciated that somebody can be two seemingly conflicting things at the same time oh god yeah um like i think it's it is both and i mean we see it continue you know the legacy continues on with the new head of ingen uh or the new head of the park yeah uh what's it masrani masrani yeah masrani um that he he has all those exact same traits that he's you know he's rah-rah and all about science but like he's got this arrogance about him yeah, um, that he wants to be the one who's flying the plane, and uh, yeah, I he's think he's very showy. It's yeah, I think it's more so with him that maybe the arrogance. I don't know whether it's supposed to be interpreted as arrogance or heroism, but you never get to see him in like a quiet, reflective moment. You know, like Ouija with Ham. Um, where I think it's where he's he's with Laura Dern's character, isn't he? And they're sort of there in the in the when they're eat, when they're dinner eating hall, the ice cream, yeah, yeah, eating the ice cream, and you know, he's doing all the spared no expense thing. 
you, you don't really get that with Maserani, do you? Sort of, you know, like a kind of genuine heartfelt sort of, I really wanted this to work kind of moment. You, you yeah. just get the kind of like, well, hey, it's got loads of teeth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, uh, yeah, and I mean, maybe it's that he, he's just, he's too too showy and too bombastic that instead of taking the time to stop and think he hops in the helicopter and tries to rescue everybody and he wants to be like the general that's leading everybody and he wants to be this this symbol yeah like, I, I see him a lot as like kind of the, the like celebrity ceo that we see so much like elon musk would yes. absolutely get into that helicopter uh, yeah and i think that we're sort of encouraged to see that as heroism whereas sometimes it, it, well often i think it's um recklessness let's uh let's each say something that we liked about it i feel like we've been kind of hard on it oh um well i liked i think that they introduced new elements into it and i think um you know possibly the the genetically modified animal you know that's kind of like an issue isn't it people are, are, are sort of it's kind of an issue that people are sort of freak out about isn't it genetically modified stuff so you know they've kind of brought a new sort of question into the into the mix um and also kind of they're treated a bit more like animals that have i don't know about rights but animals that um even though they're dangerous there's an element of kind of you know you should be responsible for their well-being like the raptors kind of have a more sympathetic side and i i thought the fact that they you know that they were able to sort of train them because they were intelligent that seems kind of plausible to me um because they're supposed to be the the smart animals um i'm not sure about the indominus rex knowing that it has a tracker in itself and tearing it out i think that might be taking it too far yeah but so (laughs) but yeah and i thought there were kind of nice little callbacks to the original as well like uh, but they didn't do it too well I don't think they did it too much. Um, like the bit where they go and they find the original Jeeps and they're, you know, they're in the kind of original building that you see in the first film and it's kind of all overgrown and, you know, the kind of the quiet music plays and you have this little moment of, oh God, the jungle has grown over my childhood. <laughs> all right. um, that was that was quite nice, I thought. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like there were a couple of really iconic moments. Mm-hmm. One of which being when Owen is holding back the Velociraptors. Like, I feel like that image yes. is is something that we haven't, in any of the Jurassic Park movies, we haven't seen that before. Like, an interaction yes. between a person and a dinosaur like that. There is, like, the, the Triceratops scene where Alan Grant is laying on top of it. Yeah. But it's not, it's, like, it's not an actual interaction. Like, there's... The Triceratops can't get away, basically. <laughs> yeah <laughs> or attack him and I mean, I yeah guess, yeah i guess yeah. you sort of have it too where the uh the brachiosaurus kind of is eating leaves and kind of looks at them in the tree in the first one but again that's that's more just it, they happen to be where it was eating yeah um so so that was just something that we hadn't seen before and it's it's a really striking image and then i mean the yeah, the t-rex that. coming out at the end is oh. is so cool and yeah. is such a like you know, if we're if the whole idea of this movie is to mash your nostalgia buttons, like that's <laughs> that's the big one right there. Yeah, he's still the fucking king. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. No, that's great. But I mean, that's yeah, that is an iconic moment, yeah. and kind of all the sort of proper dinosaurs 
they sort of seem to gang up and, and destroy the Indominus Rex, don't they? I I didn't realize it, but I had actually been affected by uh, my one of my kids had a phase where he really liked watching the uh, the Lego version of this movie. There's oh, a wow. short that's on Netflix. It's like twenty or thirty minutes, and it's just called The Indominus Escape. <laughs> and at the end of that movie, it's not just like the raptor and the T Rex that team up. It's all of the dinosaurs. <laughs> And there's even uh, like throughout they've they've got this kind of silly joke where it's kind of like the reject mutant or hybrid dinosaurs. Oh, it's like where it's like a frog dinosaur or like, <laughs> hey, this one's like purple for some reason, like all this silliness. And then yeah. like all of those hybrids come together and they they chase down the Indominus Rex and then they play soccer at the end, I think. Anyway, uh, what the dinosaurs <laughs> play soccer. Yeah, they all play soccer. And then that's how they keep the park alive. Uh, is they, they show them playing soccer it's a very silly movie um <laughs> but I, I hadn't i've seen it now more than i've seen jurassic world so when i was watching this and i was just like wait a minute like one of the other dinosaurs is going to show up and i'm like no that's the lego one <laughs> like i gotta <laughs> control I think, my expectations um, here the mosasaur helps doesn't it uh, it does yeah yes so. that's a joke they went to one too many times well like doing I'll... having the mosasaur because like that says so i mean you have the mosasaurus come out or mosasaurus anyway it comes yeah. out the first time when it uh when it's fed and that's all well and good and then it comes out the second time when zara is being brutally murdered yeah that was disproportionate wasn't it yeah and then and so like that would have been like a great punchline for the mosasaurus but then they do it again at the yeah. end and it was just like you're like you're not you're even taking the win away from the t-rex like it's it's like a diva isn't it hogging the screen exactly <laughs> um yeah the the that zara death is brutal and did you know that i mean this was another reason that uh people were upset with the gender politics of of this that's the first on-screen death of a woman in the series and she just gets fucked up <laughs> is it what in the whole yeah. of Jurassic? let me think i believe so yeah i think you're right yeah because they don't have that many oh my gosh wow i hadn't even thought about that yeah because yeah wow but yeah she i don't know why like everyone i've spoken to has kind of said why did she have such a bad because she wasn't really like i think maybe she was supposed to come across as snooty um i mean like i had a look because she has well she's supposed to have a british accent but it was not I was not convinced by it. So I had a look at the actress and she's actually Irish. So I don't know whether that was a kind of choice to make her seem a bit more snooty and, and like a bit more villainous because we are an evil people. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, like, I mean, like the British person best, right? is usually like, like the, the bad guy. So she's she's being given this caregiving role that she's not in any way prepared for. Yeah. Like she's taking on the emotional burden that Claire should have. Yeah. It's and uh, I mean, Jurassic Park has not shied away from necessarily doing a darkly funny death before. No, um, no like, like the, Gennaro uh, like on the, guy, the toilet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, you have the lawyer being eaten on the toilet, and I think that they were like, "Okay, we have to top that." So, like, what's the most ridiculous thing that we can do? And then they forgot that it was a person. Like but- they they. Yeah, couldn't they have had her be like a bit more of a because with the um, the Gennaro character, he's run off and left the children to be eaten. Yeah. So like, you kind of don't care. Well, you you do, but you you know, 
in 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 movie world that that makes him him kind of you know ripe for for being eaten but um she hasn't really i i kind of wonder if there's like a cutscene where she's eating a baby or something because she just hasn't <laughs> done anything has she she's yeah. just sort of looked slightly bored and looked at her phone yeah. Um, well, like, like I feel like, like that's the death. Hoskins that... maybe deserved that. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yes, he he dies off screen. That's I I was kind of looking forward to him being a bit more mangled. <laughs> Although it is it is interesting that the way that he dies or when we see him get bitten mm. is uh, he's trying to do the iconic like hand forward like hey I'm I'm interacting with you and I hadn't noticed that the first time but that arm which is you know like the most. I know it's it's a big part of that stance like his arm gets bitten off like no you don't get to do this yeah the raptor nice he's a wanker (laughs) (laughs) you also mentioned earlier one of the narratively convenient things about this indominus rex and like that that really took me out of the movie is like i i'm fine to believe that one of these animals could be hyper intelligent yeah i've got no problem with that I do have a problem with an animal for no reason seemingly understanding that humans are tracking its heat signature. Yeah. And then it also, oh, by the way, it can also camouflage. That's and bullshit. By the way, it also does this, that, and the other. Like, it, it understands technology enough to. to yeah, how would it have to figured work out technology? It? <laughs> it's I, like the, the camouflage, okay. I don't even, yeah, I don't even know about the heat signature maybe well there's some animals that no i don't think there are any animals that sort of go cold so that you think they're dead i don't know or not there but then that would be like a prey response anyway wouldn't it so but i mean like we don't know what all the dna is that's in there and everything and that's fine i guess but like i mean i think that's kind of another thing about it is that they're kind of very hush hush about what um you know like we're not going to tell you what's in it but it looks really like a t-rex and really like a raptor so I, I'm not sure that they necessarily need that paternity test. It's it's fairly obvious what it is. Um, and then they've kind of filled in the holes, haven't they, with, with kind of, you know, modern um, amphibians re- slash reptiles like they do with all the other dinosaurs. But yeah, especially the thing about tearing out the, the tracker. Oh, what the hell? Yeah. Like it remembers when we put it in. Yes, but it doesn't know what the fuck it is. Yes. It doesn't. Exactly. Like that, track, that thing has been tracked since birth and fine maybe you've had to swap it out as it's grown or something but i mean they've not really had to track it have they if it's just been in its enclosure i mean at the very at the very least maybe show that it like yeah i was just thinking like oh maybe it's like a nuisance having it in there yeah well then no it would have scratched it out before like being out of the cage doesn't change anything it's not it didn't become itchy because it broke out and it's not like uh, it's not like it's close to the surface either it's like actually ripped a massive chunk out of its own arm so like you would think that it would probably be willing to put up with a bit of an itch you know yeah. as, as opposed to kind of gouging its own flesh oh it knew it knew so one other scene comparison and that's that's pretty much all that i've got to say is uh comparing jurassic park to jurassic world is uh, we already talked a little bit about the triceratops scene in the first movie yeah where alan you know comes up to this this animal that's suffering and this was another time that they they had a similar scene but they ramped it up um because if you compare that to 
like so like the, tr- the triceratops they they go through its poop and it's a funny joke because there's poop in it so big um, and they shit. find out that it's yes. yeah <laughs> and they find out that it's sick because it's been eating these berries or these leaves or whatever the it berries, is. berries, I think, yeah. And so that Triceratops is going to get better. The comparable scene in Jurassic World is they come up to, I don't know what kind of dinosaur it is, some long-necked thing, and it's just laying there and you watch it die. <laughs> like it, that, It's not getting better. You're not finding the berries and solving the problem. They're just watching it die no and it, this is the why camera I can't... Pans, o- pans over and then you see this like field of corpses yeah they're all gonna die yeah i think that was quite why i quite liked having the scientists in there because they could kind of talk you through like how the animals lived and, and give you a bit more information about them i mean i think a criticism when it came out was that they said you know people said it was a bit too science heavy but i i quite liked i mean like the the thing about dinosaurs evolving into birds was not really a thing that anybody knew about. I don't, well, I mean, scientists will have done, but it was not like a, you know, popular with the layman theory, I don't think, before Jurassic Park. Like, you, you know, when you when I when I was a kid um, and I learned about dinosaurs, it was all kind of like they became extinct because of like a weather event or a meteor or something like that. So like, I mm. kind of felt like I learned something as well, which I like because I'm a dork. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it sounds all right with you, then uh, I think I... I'd be okay to, to wrap things up. Okay. So the way that we always do it here is I'll ask you two questions. First of all, on your own Netflix profile, did this movie get a thumbs up or a thumbs down? And then I'm curious if you have an MVP from the movie, somebody who stands out either in front of or behind the camera that uh, really brought this up a notch. I would give it a thumbs up, even though I kind of slagged it off a little bit, because, you know, it, it was entertaining. It, it was kind of, I was on the edge of my seat um, and it had dinosaurs. So, yeah, it, it has kind of like a, you know, like a kind of maybe 45 degree angle thumbs up, I would say. And I don't know about MVP, like, can I say the dinosaurs? Yeah. <laughs> because I think that they are incredibly well rendered to the extent that, you know, you can see kind of like that sort of weird reptile second eyelid coming down across the, the eyes. And, you, you know, you believe that that is the thing that's there um, most of the time. I mean, possibly, you know, the, the egg and the weird bird, um, <laughs> notwithstanding. <laughs> so, yeah, I, w- I would, you know, I would say the dinosaurs. I think the dinosaurs are always the stars. And, you know, if I had to pick a human, I would probably say the Hoskins character because he's just yeah. like so kind of intrinsically awful. Um, right. I think it's well acted. <laughs> I know that I, I started off saying that the CGI thing was really upsetting, really upsetting. That's being traumatic. Uh, the, the CGI dinosaur to start off the movie threw yeah. me off. Yeah. Um, but I did get over it. And I mean, like clearly a lot of very talented people put the work into getting me past that point yeah um and, and making this a really great visual experience um as for me i'm i mean it's like not even a 45 degree angle like maybe a five degree angle thumbs up um i just really like got, dinosaurs there's yeah i've got a lot of reasons why i don't like it but i'm also like i'm not mad that i saw it yeah like this if i was giving this a star rating it would be somewhere between two and a half and three that seems so fair. That's that's about where I'm at. Yeah. And then just so that it gets shouted out, I want to give my MVP to Judy Greer, who played the the mom. Because I just felt like she she was the most human character in the whole movie. Yeah, okay. Maybe. She I, I mean, mean she certainly she's... plays a good mom, doesn't she? 
I suppose it's not her fault they gave her a sexist line to say. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's true. But I mean, like, yeah, she she does it with a plump. So I uh, I appreciate that. And just like the you know the 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 ways she uses her face to express concern and like for her kids and yeah, I felt like she just did a great job with not a whole lot of not a whole lot to work with. That's fair point. Yeah, I yeah I would agree with that. I guess. All right. Well. Uh, Amy, I want to thank you for coming on and doing this. Uh, I'm not going to thank you for making me watch this movie again. No, that's <laughs> kidding. Um, but I do want to open up the uh, I do want to open up the floor and give you a chance to to talk about to let people know about what you do and where they can find you. Uh, right. Well, I have a podcast. Um, it's called Willard Price Adventure Podcast. Uh, it's by uh, myself and Jenny Ancorn, um, who was a guest on your podcast a few episodes ago. And it's basically um, us going through a series of books that were kind of childhood favourites, but in a slightly tongue-in-cheek kind of way, um, because they're kind of like these very outdated kind of boys' own adventures. Um, And so while they were exciting, um, they have like a lot of incredibly ridiculous attitudes. And so it's kind of a tribute and kind of a piss take. (laughs) But... um, yeah, I mean, we really enjoy doing it. It's, it's, they're books that we both read, and then um, we found out when we were teenagers we'd both read them, and, and kind of we enjoyed kind of looking back and going, what the hell that happened? Um, it's, <laughs> it's about these two brothers who go and um, go and capture animals for the zoo, um, which you know, I mean, I guess gives you an idea that attitudes have moved on since then. Right. Um, and there's a lot of, of kind of extreme manliness, a lot of kind of incidental kind of like horrific animal murder as well. So <laughs> poor anteater. Oh, my God. Oh, the tapir. Uh, the, the anteater, the tapir, the crocodile. Yeah, it's yeah. They behead an anteater at one point because that's what naturalists do. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was. I, I always say that for a podcast to be worth listening to, uh, you either need to say something interesting or you need to have a really entertaining way of saying it. And <laughs> I think that your show does both. And so that's, yeah, it's always a treat to have that show up in my feed. Oh, that's really nice of you. I always really enjoy listening to this podcast too. <laughs> Let's just talk about how great we are for the rest I of I know, this. we are. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, again, thank you so much for doing this. And uh, I'll be sure to include links off to your show so that people can find it. And yeah, hopefully this has turned some ears onto onto the great work that you're doing over there. Yay. Thank you very much. (laughs) And you know what? That is going to do it for this very special episode of the Netflix podcast. If you'd like to hearing me say words properly go back and listen because apparently i've lost the ability but if you did like what you heard today head on over to netflix.ca to check out the rest of the netflix content including show notes the show notes for the jurassic world episode that you just listened to include links off to the very fantastic willard price adventure podcast on itunes twitter facebook libsyn and pretty much anywhere i could find to link off to you can also head there to find my grumpy cynical review of the hobbit the battle of five armies and links off to the two other episodes that i kind of referenced in passing uh the first one being the review that i did of raiders the story of the greatest fan film ever made with 
Amy's excellent co-host, Jenny Angkorn. Uh, that was episode 78. As well, since we were talking early on about RuPaul's Drag Race, yeah, I would be remiss to not tell you to check out episode 75, where my good friend and queer scholar Josh Morrison came to educate me all about RuPaul's Drag Race. And if you want to follow us in other ways, you can find us on Facebook as Netflix, on Twitter at NetflixPod, and we're also on SoundCloud and Instagram as at NetflixPodcast. If you're looking for me personally, and I couldn't blame you if you did, you can find me at Dylan Clark Moore on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Instagram. If you're feeling particularly saucy and fanatic, you can head over to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or whatever podcast platform you prefer, and giving us a rating and a review. Or you could just tell people to listen to it, because if I can't guilt you into spreading the good word of what we do here, what is even the point? If you want to go the extra mile, you can also support us financially over on Patreon. You can give as little as $1 a month to keep the wheels on this whole son-of-a-bitch project. This podcast was produced and edited by yours truly, and the theme music was provided by Zach Moore. As silly as I have been in recording this introduction, I do want to thank you very genuinely for checking out this honestly very fun episode of the Netflix podcast. And be sure to join me here in a couple of weeks for a whole new conversation about yet another movie from the Netflix catalog. Assuming everything goes according to plan, you will get to hear Jeremy Hobbs and I talk all about a ghost story. So remember to check back in your feeds in a couple of weeks because even if you think you've seen it all, You ain't streamed nothing yet.